My friends, welcome to another fabulous episode of The Real Dirt. On today's Dirt, I have one of my best friends, Jeff Ford, speaking to us. So Jeff is a longtime cannabis enthusiast and currently consults people throughout California and the country with uh, organic growing techniques, specifically introducing farms to organic cultivation techniques. Jeff has uh, been a longtime outdoor grower, medical cannabis grower, extractor, distiller. How did you just pick organic conversions or organic farming techniques to help people out with, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, it was personal interest. I tried organics back in like 2005, 6, 7. <laughs> it got really frustrating. Everyone would give me advice. I'd try it out. It'd be awful. They'd get good results. I'd get awful results. And uh, yeah, I struggled mm-hmm. with that. I had a hydroponic store. So like, of course, you know, I had access to all kinds of weird stuff, both pesticides and, you know, all these different things. And the thing that got me was, you know, obviously I got injured really badly. And health was for me almost the most important thing. You know, back then, Avid, you know, right? Everyone used to my all these crazy things and no one cared. It was like, oh, this fixes the problem. That's what I need. Is Nobody fix- even knew. Yeah. Nobody so, cared. Nobody knew. So I remember looking into Avid and like it, it affected women's ovaries and I was in there spraying my plants. You know? <laughs> I was thinking about Lene and I was just thinking, shit, I got to stop using this. This is the end of it, you know? There's got to be a way to grow these plants where they don't need it. And uh, slowly but surely, I integrated in Willets, you know, using all the green goo or throwing a couple hundred pounds of grow more in the tank and swishing it around and letting it rip. And then I would, you know, I would try and use what I could with BioLink and some of these organic products around the bottle. But then cost became an issue. It was pretty yeah. expensive to buy these huge bottles of liquid that got very little nutrient input. Slowly but surely, I figured out a math equation, but it didn't happen until, I mean, right before I got into the Oakland project. I was able to apply the math with my system. And then I really got put in a place where I had to try and find an alternative way to do things. And I couldn't. And the math really showed itself when you try and make decisions based on other people's forceful intervention. It really became difficult, right? Because I was trying to... For example, we had a bunch of soil that came in from a place in Rio Valley and the, you know, the pH was high. So that right off the bat created a problem. It wouldn't have been a problem if we would have amended it because I have the calculations, but because of time, you know, everyone just wanted to get the work done. And so there were a couple of consultants on the site, one was a hydroponics store owner, and then myself. And we were trying to figure out like what can we do to bring this pH down? And I was like, you know, there's a couple options, but two of them are pretty bad. The end result will definitely vary. It won't be good until next year. Of course, everyone's trying to, you know, make money this year. They're not trying to hear that. So I did the calculation, it was gonna take like five hundred pounds of sulfur, bring the pH down into appropriate range, like six five. It was just like, we can do it my way. We can add the base cations, get them balanced, and then this will work. Or we can do it your way. We can solve one individual problem at a time until we go blue in the face. Let's wait. Like The plants will be way worse if we wait. I mean, if we don't wait, than if we try and top dress and do all these other things that this other people are suggesting. Like, And so I learned firsthand how to kill biology in a heartbeat, you know, after many years of sort of perfecting this calculation and seeing, you know, every year it gets a little bit better. It gets way cheaper because the first year it's all the amendments. The second year, it's just basically sulfur, boron and nitrogen. That's cheap, right? Boron, you go to Walmart, it's at the bottom shelf in Ukiah, you know, you go $5 and you're in a whole acre for like five bucks, 10 bucks. Yeah, totally. You buy a bag of sulfur for $9.50, pounds, you need 100 pounds per acre. 99% Tiger 90 sulfur is going to cost you a whopping 20 bucks. So you're going to do it for 30 bucks. Then you got to figure out your nitrogen, which is always the expensive part. 
It's just so cheap. Yeah. And so feather meal. And so these kind of became like my go-to solutions. And with this project, it was like, I had to learn how to combine chemicals and organic fertilizer by force. And it was an unnatural feeling of knowing how to do the math, but the breakdown times really becoming problems. And then all these other people's opinions, right? We had all these cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, Hillionaires and all these guys have an opinion in different climates. Oh, wait a second. Hillionaires. <laughs> Let me give you the definition of a Hillionaire. Okay, audience. A Hillionaire is someone who has a shitload of money, probably that's come through uh, cannabis cultivation, probably more money than they should have, and they spend it freely because the money just keeps coming in. Is that a great definition of a billionaire? And generally, money comes and goes pretty quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. They can do whatever they want. They do whatever they want. I mean, I think we've both been billionaires at one point. <laughs> I, I've certainly been accused of it by many uh, letter agencies, that's for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. Zedra deal with many billionaires over the years and facilitating their, uh, their activities. It just taught me that, man, there's so many people that don't know anything. You know, They're really good at reading the back of bottles and hoping to God that they read works. That's a leap of faith, man. And if you have a math equation that works, then that would be my first choice. And then everything after that is a struggle. This is an area where me and you have both like agreed heavily over the years is, man, it's all math. Yeah. It is all math. It doesn't matter if you're building a greenhouse or, or how many, or you're determining how many plants are going to go in it or the size containers you're going to put in it, how much soil. It's all math equation, man. It's just yeah. all this one big equation. Yeah. And then there's weird things that happen. Like when you go outside and your indoor veil of protection kind of erodes and you have water table above the soil and just the cold weather at the beginning of the year and all these different things that affect that math a little bit. Because biology can't start, you know, like early season nitrogen. I mean, if you're sitting and soaking, if the soil is completely saturated, then you got to spray on the nitrogen. It's just not going to come through the soil. And so there's all these weird things that come up, right? And they're real temperature dependent. And it's been interesting. I got a new client, Philo, which is kind of a new thing for me because I know, you know, deep in the back of my mind, like Philo is a little bit coastal. That's a little bit... uh, they're going to have a soft start and it's going to be different than for out in my place. I got peaches growing in places that nobody else can grow peaches. I'm at elevation, you know, 2000 feet. So it's kind of odd. Guys got up that Dos Rios corridor in Hopland of great weather early season, but you got other guys that, you know, you have to accommodate for cold starts. Like I bet up in Trinidad, shit, you'd have to use 30% more nitrogen to get the same thing in the beginning. Well, you know, that's why I developed Tuper. Yeah. It was because of the cold start. And I couldn't, my water frequency and my fertilizer frequency was off because it was so cold there in the fall, the summer, and the spring. I mean, the best weather on the coast is actually like late fall, winter. So, like, the whole growing season kind of sucks. And then all oh, of a sudden, it's like perfect 75 degrees for six weeks and sunny. But it's so funny too, because there's people's perception of, of Humboldt County is outdoor and greenhouses. And well, man, you fly over the area and like Mendocino, all outdoor. Humboldt, <laughs> all greenhouses. Seriously, you got a plane, man. We should go and fly through Mendocino. Oh, no, it is changing. It is it's changing. Crazy. Regulations have now changed it all. Yeah, I drive right. through the Willits Valley, right? Where you didn't ever see anything. And now it's like, oh my God, there's just greenhouses everywhere and big ones, yeah. lots of them. You know, it's finally they sort of became less unwilling to allow legalization to happen. I guess I don't know. I have a very jaded view of it, but I got a jaded view of it too <laughs> in Northern California. And there's such a huge brain trust up there, and it has such this rich history of cultivation. But 
with a lot of the lower level bureaucracy and a lot of the locals that aren't involved with cannabis hate cannabis. They hate ganja. They hate ganja growers. They oh. think we're fucking crack dealers. They think we're like <laughs> environmental, like fucking polluters. They think we're violent and drug addicts. And it's like all those things are totally untrue for 99% of the ganja growers up there. Every time they would bust people for years, the cops would go in, throw all their trash out in the yard, dump their oil buckets out, and then be like, oh, look at this fucking dirty white trash ganja grower, you know? And it's like, well, you just threw all his trash out. <laughs> yeah, so many stories. Yeah, we could go on for it. We, have, we know, need a whole other podcast man. for that one, man. I, I could probably write do, a man. book. Yeah, everyone keeps telling me to write a book. I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. I think I'll go straight to prison. I'll give you a chapter in mind, man. I have to do Mendocino. Listen, I'm just going to go on to it for a second because I've been in the permitting and licensing up in Humboldt for a minute. And the building and planning departments and the powers that be that actually control the laws that the voters vote, they are not for cannabis. And if they say they're telling you they are, they're full of shit. Absolutely. The building and planning department of Humboldt County is not pro-cannabis. Dude, if you want to grow, forget those places. They're mm -hmm. old. They're going to dry up. Go to Lake County kill it unless you're like me or you and we're vested in the areas already and they're yeah, like, true, I, yeah, mean, yeah. I mean humboldt's been my home for most of my life even though i live in oklahoma now right i mean i still love it up there and like most of my family and friends still live there and yeah. it's just a shame that both humboldt county and i mean mendocino county how many people have they had yeah. that were the cannabis control person there in mendocino county and like four five six people have come and gone in the past three years yeah, I mean their whole right. their whole building and planning. I mean that I knew a guy there that helped me with the distillery when we were trying to get everything through. The chief building inspector, all those guys are gone. Half of them retired, you know, in 2010 to 14. Their junior staff, one of them went to go work for the city of Willits. He just got tired of it. I don't know exactly what the internal organs are doing to these people, but they don't seem to be content. Well, I mean, part of it is California is stereotypically known as an overregulated county versus their state. And I would say Humboldt County is probably the most regulated county, ganja-wise, with it throughout California. And part of it is because it's in the Six Rivers National Forest System, and there's just so much water, there's so much national forest up there. But man, you know, my property doesn't touch the natural forest or any major waterways. I'm secondary tributaries and fishing games involved in my project. Why does fish and wildlife have to be involved? That right there is why I started doing this for people when I could see the writing on the wall that you had to submit calculations. They had to be bulletproof. Fishing oh, game yeah. has created more havoc for more people for less reason than anyone should ever have to deal with. And when you're going organic at some point, you will have to enter the USDA market. And they've tried to sidestep it with all these like quasi-certifications and things like that. But at the end of the day, you can't even put anything into the ground legally at all without these soil tests that involve basically iron, zinc, manganese, all these, these trace and micros. Yeah. They're illegal to apply without a soil test. You can't just like go buy some fertilizer thinking that you need some manganese. That's illegal. You go to jail. We're required to log all this stuff. And these regulations, you know, I went with Brandon Wheeler a long time ago to Chico. I went to the CCOF thing at the uh, sure. I can't think of the name for some reason. It's not Loganitas. It's uh, the other big one. Sierra Nevada. Oh my God. They're going to be insulted. They're probably going to throw an egg at me. We're not Loganitas. Uh, great guys. I mean, the whole place is like a Uber green facility like no other I've ever seen. CO2 recycling, all this stuff. And the great people, they sponsored this thing. One of the things they were talking about was back in the day, everyone was big into like, you know, compost tea and all this stuff and what compost versus compost tea looks like in a field. 
that ran its few. So, but the interesting thing is the compost is where all these little things carry over sometimes for your best dollar in, right? And uh, but the problem is you can't put it in in the front end of the spring because you can, but you got to you got to be on top of the gypsum and you got to get that sodium out of there and stuff. And so depending on the type of compost, but dairy for sure and, and horse even worse, the sodium becomes a major problem. And then the sodium and the potassium together create the final kneecapping. You'd be like Nancy Kerrigan trying to uh, get away with <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there crippled on the side of the road because everything gets locked out. So then you try and figure out how to bring the pH down or you're in season and you're just in, in bad shape. So knowing how to get around all these regulations and what you're allowed to put in times, you know, like compost and salinova salad and potential like pathogen timelines from harvest and things like that are huge. And that's what happened is I put together a list of rules that I collected piecemeal from all these people over the years. And as soon as organic farming would be regulated, and you'd be able to put that stamp on your product, I had the list like that was my idea, but everything took longer. It was like you thought that everything in like 2006 was going to be like year later, right? Like I wrote that 2005 to 2012, like there would have been all this amazing stuff that was going to happen. All these regulatory hurdles would just be removed and it did not happen. It did not. No, it increased. It got worse. And it's the back to the low level bureaucracy. So (laughs) you know me, I'm all about like throwing the chips on the table and calling people out when they fuck up. Because I get called out plenty when I fuck up. I recognize that. That's how you like get better. And that's where I am today is because I've made mistakes and I fixed them. But building the planning department, man, John Ford, Cliff Johnson of Humboldt <laughs> County, they are just absolutely standing in the way. Oh, hey, yeah, check this out, Jeff. It was just recently a grand jury investigation on these building department, which are these two guys, right? Cliff Johnson, he's uh, cannabis. He's head of the cannabis department there. John Ford, he's head of the building and planning department. And all of us cannabis people have been saying this for years, past three years of this. Man, they lose my paperwork all the time. They're charging me per phone call or every time I come in there, but then they're always losing my paperwork. I know I gave them my paperwork. Man, I came and paid my fees, and now they're saying I didn't pay my fees. Like, I've got a receipt that says they paid my fees, you know, and everybody has to pay in cash, especially like when it all started because there wasn't any bank accounts. So a grand jury investigation just came out that said, yeah, that's absolutely what's been going on. They've mishandled paperwork. That's a polite way of saying they disappeared people's files. Because, man, I've got like 20, 30 times they've tried to do that to me. But I'm such a fucking badass record keeper that I'm like, no, I got that. And then like the money, man, like these, like literally people are coming and paying cash. And, you know, dope growers are some of the best mathematicians out there because they can't write anything down. It has to be in their head. They remember the numbers. Right. There's some debauchery with it too, but you know how many people came in. It was like, nope, I paid $4,316.32 there. Like just so many people remembered it. And so many other people actually had the receipts that the grand jury said, hey, you guys can't take payment anymore. You guys are fucking up so bad. You can't take payment anymore. But hey, man, you know what happened? Nothing. Nobody got fired. John Ford, he still runs that operation. All those people that are still working there, they're still working at the desk. What would have happened if they would have come into a cannabis operation? It was a grand jury investigation, and it said that they mishandled documents, and that was. Uh, I could tell you exactly what it would look like. It would look what like, would happen? It would look just like the end of blow. I had seventy officers roll upon me with machine guns, and I had one guy right. tricking up with my hands handcuffed on my face. Right, and I told him like, take the handcuffs off. I'm certainly not afraid of you, and I'm definitely yeah, totally retaliating. Totally, so I just make it a fair fight. And the, at the end of the day, that's the problem, right? It's like they can roll in 70 deep on you, but then when they do something wrong and you accuse them, nothing ever comes of it. 
it's a fight right. for another guy. You know, it's like you got to chalk it up to karma because these guys literally have been abusing people on every level, probably to protect their own farms and farm interests to not have competition. And that's to me what it seems like in Mendocino is everyone's just afraid of property value inflation. And oh, absolutely, dude. Cover them. Hey, man, yeah, so. you know how it is? That road I used to live on down there in Willis, everybody on that road was growing their 25 plants. Everybody, even Daryl went on. Everybody, <laughs> everybody was growing weed, and now weed's legal. And yeah. you know you can't necessarily grow cannabis like that anymore, yeah. and because it got up to like ninety nine plants at some point, and so so many people are pissed that they can't make that fifty or hundred thousand yeah. dollars, even though they might be into weed, right? Yeah. But like. You know, just look at Willits downtown. I mean, that place is empty. I swear, like one out of every two shops is done. There's no tenant, no tenant coming. The whole place boarded up. Oh man, that's so sad, dude. We had some really good times down there, man. I mean, I'm I from Texas. Really I can tell these guys, I'm like, you guys got to get out of the way, man. Like, this is a great thing. Like, people like me will come in and they'll pay employee taxes. They'll do what they have to do. They'll set up whatever mm-hmm. they have to set up. Like, I don't even understand what unpermitted building means, but if, please explain it to me because I don't think it's a good idea. But if you explain it to me in a way that makes sense, I'll not get a permit, I guess. And then they would tell mm-hmm. me, and then two or three years later, now they want to see every damn tree chopped up 10 feet and like yeah. all this crazy shit. It was like a total polar uh, herd. And they went from like, eh, whatever, don't worry about uh-huh. it. To like, you know, you need yeah, a fucking crosswalk man. for a guy in a wheelchair to cross from one building area to the other. And I'm like, dude, there's literally like two people that are here. Like, who's in a wheelchair up in my place? There's rock everywhere. If you're going to go to a building, you just park right in front of it. You walk to it. You don't need somebody to like protect <laughs> a guy in a wheelchair from driving around my places. There's only four people here, you know, and everyone knows the guy in the wheelchair. Right. I'm going to run him over. Like, what do you think? I mean, it should be treated. Those outdoor gardens should be treated like farms. That's yeah. for sure. And they're, and they're not. And they should be. The At the end of the day, water though, usage it was the building the department. It wasn't the industry, you know, because I went through the same problem with the distillery. They wanted to see parking, you know, and all the stuff drawn out. And I was like, where do you want the parking? And I just drew it right on the paper and he got super angry. He was like, how do you know you can park there? I was like, because I built the road. <laughs> I built every inch of this place. I can tell you where the elevation changes after how many inches. This is mine. I built this. This is perfect. <laughs> Anything that needed to happen, I paid an engineer to do this within the means of the machine, right? Whatever the machine's capable of doing. I had T-turns for 44-foot trailers or 56-foot trailers, depending on the area and stuff. And it was just like unbelievable the amount of scrutiny they gave me. And they didn't even know what they were talking about. That was the issue, right? It's like... It's institutional. Like the same thing's going on with me in Humboldt right now is they're asking all these questions because they're against cannabis in my area. And they're asking all these questions like, wait a second, you guys put me through this 2.0 documentation permitting process in which like you required me to get a biologist. You required me to get a forester. You required me to get a geologist, an engineer, a water analysis and uh, documents from California Fish and Game. You required me to do all this stuff, but they didn't read any of that. So now they're like, well, you have to do this. And it's like, well, wait a second. Didn't I already do that twice? Well, then if you had a pond, right? That pond you had in front of your house. Oh, you do that. That pond is about that. Well, there was fishing game. Didn't like it. They never do. They didn't like it. I was right outside the distances for it being in a creek bed. They made me get two geologists to prove that. They literally came over and measured the distance from the creek bed to the edge of the pond three different times. So they, you know, just, oh, well, we're going to measure from the center of the creek. And like that was far enough. So like, well, you know what? They came back again, set up another appointment six weeks later. We got to remeasure the water. Okay. 
This time they're like, we're going to come from the edge of the riparian zone. And you know okay. what that means? It's like, that's where the last riparian vegetation grows. So they go up right to the edge of it. They would railroad everyone and no one would ever get through if that guy wasn't the guy who was helping the state develop the guidelines. Like he's the only guy, he's like the expert who goes to argue against these guys who they look for answers yeah. from, but he's also the engineer doing it. He's always arguing with these guys, you know? And it's like, man, if you're literally arguing with the letter of the law, who is the expert writing the letter of the law, why are we having this conversation? Like, let's get you the hell out of the way. Like you guys are saying every engineer isn't as good as you, but you're a CDFW employee. Like you would be building towers and cool shit if you were a better engineer. Like get the hell out of here. Yeah, absolutely right, man. For we them, have a stamp for, for a reason. Like that's the engineer oh, yeah. saying I take responsibility for this. Oh, currently, right now, we've just gone on to a bitch fest about California <laughs> regulations. As I was trying to avoid but, this, I'll do this. But hey, but hey I'll company. say this, dude. Currently, <laughs> right now, I'm in Oklahoma. And we have operations here too. And man, the people are so open to industry and business here. And they truly don't care what you do. Of course, some people don't like it. But man, everyone that I've come in contact with, one person hasn't been supportive of us, right? That was a building planning guy. He's the only person that was unsupportive of cannabis and what was going on. Everybody else has just been like, oh, you grow, oh, you're growing medical cannabis. Oh, okay, that's cool. You know, it was his crutch. He was just anti-drug, like as a blanket. He's ignorantly misinformed and thinks that cannabis is like heroin and CO2 will kill you. And Everyone's like, yo, Jeff, come out and do consulting in Oklahoma. I'm like, hell to the no. I'm not going out there. You got to pay me. No, dude. It's, it's better than California. It's better than any other state that you could go to. Dude, this is a bold claim, but I'm making it so you know that something's behind it. <laughs> is Oklahoma is the best place to grow weed probably in the world right now. If you're truly in it just to grow weed, just to plant seeds, I mean, the economy, of course, to make money, but like, this is the place to be, man. There's simple security regulations. Man, they are so ahead of their permitting process. It literally takes about, once you have all the information, it takes about 15 minutes to fill out the paperwork. And they ask all the same stuff that California asks. For me, they're like, are you in a floodplain? Get you certified that you're not in a floodplain. You know, okay, go to this website and certify that you're not next to a seat, a school. And like, that's but, all you have to do. That's what's cool about Lake County is the Lake County officials come out to your property and tell you <laughs> if you can build something or not. Like it's no back and forth tennis match. You can just get a yes or a no, or maybe some appropriate information. I mean, they're not engineers mm -hmm. and architects, but they're definitely going to tell you like, this is a major violation. This isn't going to work. We got a ranch here. I called up the Department of Agriculture to get a, an ag, to see if I was eligible to get an ag discount. And I'm like, oh, you know, yeah, we'll put some cows out. Like, I got a big place here. You know, I grew up on a goat farm. Like, you know, yeah, I'm interested in getting some, you know, animals going to help me out to the land. And no goats, uh, right? Yeah, you know that story. But uh, so I call up and they're like, oh, hey, what, let me see your, uh, give me your address. And I give my address and they're like, oh, your cannabis farm? Yeah, sure. I'll send you out your uh, agricultural exemption. And so two days later, I get an agricultural exemption card from the state of Oklahoma because I'm a cannabis farm. That's interesting here how they're not into that. And because of that, there's like thousands of cultivators here and they're mostly small scale, man. It's mostly like how it, it used to be in California, where it was a bunch of cumulative impact of small scale people. If you gave a Williamson Act to these guys out here, they would be super thankful and that would be huge. Like even at this point, like oh, yeah. grand, 10 grand a year would be massive. Yeah, absolutely. 
but man, like it's a conservative state. Mm. So there've been so much like stereotype over the state. I mean, it doesn't have like the richest history of social justice. And man, you know, that kind of shit's everywhere. And honestly, like it really makes me realize like what they, when they say Oklahoma by the sea, referring to McKinleyville, California, I see what they mean by it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there might be some Tiger Kings in Laytonville. There's definitely some Tiger Kings in McKinleyville. That's for sure. But uh, man, I mean, Oklahoma has just been incredible and the huge organic movement here. Isn't a huge organic movement? Kansas City, Missouri, where I just went and couldn't find almost anything. I called the Brandt dealer. You know what he told me? He said, call Fresno. Call our dealer in California. They can send you whatever you want. I was like, Kind of like my mom's garden. Like, it was definitely not a let's wait and bring all this stuff in. Oh, man. Operation. You should have just looked up my website, Cultivate Colorado or Cultivate OKC Garden Supplies. We have everything you need to grow, man. We send it right to your doorstep. We've got Ooh. great prices. Oh, hey, man. And since you're a commercial industry person, you can apply for a commercial discount and get huge discounts all the comfort of your home. You just uh, apply online, order whatever you want, and we send it right to you. That would have been really helpful. I can't believe I didn't tell you that before. God. <laughs> you don't think about it. You know, when you live in California, you got all these places, Harmony Farm Supply. You can go to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what's that place in Willow? It's Fair Time. You know, it's a great place. Man, if you get into a spot where you're not like in it, I didn't realize like 99.9999% of the world has no access to anything organic. Gypsum. You can get gypsum just about everywhere. Yeah, Home Depot. Yeah, totally. We've just been babbling because we're friends. Sure. We've been talking <laughs> shit. But like, hey, let's give out some real dirt on some stuff. I want to talk about two specific things with you. What is the pain point? What's like the problem or is there a problem that most of the people have that contact you for consulting? And why is organic conversion the solution to that problem? So a lot of these guys, they're not necessarily anti-organic or not organic. Almost every single one of them has the same exact problem, right? They've started to add things into the soil and at some point an excess has caused them a problem. And that problem has cost them a lot of yield. And they're starting to see it and it's getting worse and worse every year and they're getting really frustrated. And I would say 99.9% of the time, it's too much potassium almost every time. You have this problem. Yeah, because that's what ganja growers want. They want hey, yeah, the add PK potassium phosphorus. The, yeah, PK PK, 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 PK. <laughs> the problem, the only thing that doesn't wash away in the soil. Actually, potassium and sodium. So the way it works, basically, with my setup is uh, we're basing it all six inches of soil, two million pounds equivalent, and then you can change that a little bit for the you know you can actually weigh the soil and figure out what your media weight is. But then there's all these ratios, and those ratios are based on base cations and acid cations together. So they, they equal the CEC, or the amount of food you can put on the plate, right? And almost every single time, so the, the ratio basically goes like uh, calcium needs to be in the 60 to 70% range. Magnesium is 10 to 20. And uh, potassium is like uh, 3 to 5. And sodium is like half to 3.5 or something, somewhere in that range. And uh, the real trick, the silent, what I call the silent killer at this point, it's almost funny because it was not funny because it's awful. It's like I feel bad for these people almost because it's such a common problem, with, especially with soil that I have not seen anyone yet who doesn't have these two problems. And they're both the same problem from different directions. In any one, one of your clients, they have these two problems. Almost, almost every single one. Everybody listen up. Here are the two <laughs> problems almost everybody has if you're having problems. There's a third problem, right? Okay. So we'll start with the third problem, the easiest one to deal with, which is they have acidic soil. They're in the high fives and they need calcium. And they bring the calcium in and it brings the pH up. So they're a calcium deficit. The biggest problem, though, is the potassium and the sodium together equal more than 10. So then your manganese and your boron are blocked out and a few other things. And so the only way to get anything 
going in flower is to foliar spray. But who wants to foliar spray late into flower, right? So at some point, you're gonna get screwed. And your plants can be green-ish, green-ish, I say, because typically when those two things are at that rate, your pH is above 7 and usually above 7.4. And that's when the axe falls and just cuts off phosphorus completely. So if you don't have like worms in the soil or some kind of enzyme activity or a major mycorrhizal fungi, something's got to be availing that phosphorus, then your potassium, then these excesses create deficiency, essentially. And you can't deliver calcium without boron because so, calcium is immobile. It needs boron to move it with, you know, and sugars and other things. And no one wants to mess with boron. They feel like it's like, you know, this weird thing that they don't, you know, everyone's like, oh my God, boron's bad. And so when you mix these wise tails together, they create a bulletproof, fail-prone approach that will always kill your crop and make the, the yield go down and down and down is to continue to add MAP and to add money and potassium phosphate, uh, the MKP and the MAP, or you know, everyone's go-to. They're like, I got to hit it with PK booster. It's, man, we got to finish. And then they just hit the nail all the way down until they pop in solid tight and they just don't put on flour. So at the end of the day, you have this you know, little larfy crap that won't put on density, even though you've been nailing it to death with MKP and, and nothing's happening. So the treatment for that essentially is you got to get in, put some gypsum in there. So it'll, it'll go in as gypsum, calcium sulfate and come out sodium sulfate and we'll change the balance a little bit. And that sodium excess and some of the potassium will come out because it's been displaced by the calcium. So it's almost universal though. So manganese foliar spray is the only way to really kind of fight it. And then trying to foliar spray, you know, certain things towards the end, which is really controversial. Unless you're in Colorado and it's common to spray. The yeah. They foliar spray all the way through. Oh yeah, totally part of it. <laughs> so, I, they've got this fancy phrase over there. They call it IPM, and what it means is spraying every day until you're you harvest. To some degree, there's a really good reason to do that. Not every day, Jesus, that would be crazy. Uh, no, I'm of course you know exaggerating, but uh, no, we, we both feel spray for bugs about, every day till they die, right? Which is never so. Yeah. It's, all, it's the same it problem. The same problem. If these problems are not creating better bricks, better sugar then the plant's immune system is compromised because it's constantly under stress. You've been over-nitrifying it. You've been, you know, your balance is throwing other things under the bus. And manganese is like the beginning of everything, the beginning of splitting the water, so the glycolysis. So the problem is it's a silent creeper, right? You don't see it unless you test the pH as it approaches flower, and it's already too late pretty much at that point. And then the color hasn't gotten dark. It's gone dark to like medium dark. And when you get into flower, then it really starts to lighten up. And that's when you realize you got a major problem but it's already too far in. There's not a lot you can do in the soil. So you have to foliar spray it out and re-amend at the end for the next crop. And so with organic farming, it takes a little bit of time and you kind of got to understand the breakdown periods for certain amendments. And so the only other way to get in there is, is to fix it with chelate. That's kind of what I figured is that everyone has the same problem is they keep amending until their potassium and their sodium levels breach that 10% range and then everything goes wrong and they can't mm -hmm. figure out how to get their flowers to fill. You know, the other problem is, is usually it's wore out soil, right? Like they keep hoping that those holes will keep producing and the, you know, the amendments that they're putting in there are leaching a lot of things out in, in winter rains. So I've seen the other problem happen where like, you know, you're in the low fours, I mean the low fives and the mid fives and manganese can be toxic because at that point, a lot of those metals, because it's more acidic are more available. And so you got to get that calcium in there to keep it buffered out and then everything functions. But the other problem is, is that uh, dealing with stuff too late, right? They, they want these magic bullets to organic and they want it today. That's ganja farmers and mostly is they want a, a magic bullet. 
Yeah. So I get called in late in the season and they're like, yo, there's all these problems. Come fix my shit. Yeah. I'm like, I come in and I'm like, all right, let's do this. And they're like, no, that's too much work. Well, like go put fertilizer on it. I don't know. But this is my solution. This is going to help you a lot. You got to put in, you got to put in the work. Then the next problem becomes like when they're liquids and you're trying to mix them in a tank. And for some reason, people are like, well, how many pounds of this and pounds of that do I put in the tank per gallon? And I'm like, well, I told you, it's you need 14 pounds per acre. They're like, what the hell is that? I'm like, dude, do the math. The square footage, how much water do you use to do your drenches? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, right there. That's the problem. Yeah, right. You don't know what your know. equipment does per minute. You have no idea how to regulate any of your equipment. That's where we need to start. How about you just go water your garden, put a meter on it, use a stopwatch, fill a five-gallon bucket, whatever you have to do. Let's find out what your machinery is capable of doing. And then I can give you some advice on how to apply it appropriately. Everybody's so the three are over fertilization of the land and they're having the, the, the mentality complete. of like more is better when it really, sure. you know, especially sure. magnesium as a prime example. You know, if you have a deficiency, you have magnesium. If you have an excess, it's because you added magnesium that created it and that <laughs> creates a deficiency. <laughs> so, like, you kind of got to hit it just right because it's hard to get out. You're creating a deficiency with excess and with not enough. Either way, it's in the plant, it's not there because it's got a window and that window affects the tilt and tightens the soil. So let me just give them real quick. So you got the three things are, the three things are overfeeding, overfeeding potassium and the soil has gone toxic. Number two is, what's number two? Yeah, pretty much uh, the opposite. They'll have uh, the lack calcium. Uh, not enough calcium is a big one. That'll usually no. in acidic soil, high five. Acidic you know, soil needs not enough water. calcium. Yeah, right. And the number one problem is don't know what the hell they're doing as far as how to apply fertilizer by the acre. You know, it's like that's the only way to say it. It's like when you look at the back of a bottle and you have no idea what to do. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. So, and I mean, some of these farmers too, they've like been growing weed a long time. They're successful people. They might have decades even in the cannabis industry. Well, it's genetics, man. It really is. That blue dream, you know, man, everyone's blue. It's because that plant is bulletproof. Pineapple, (laughs) bulletproof. You can do anything you want to. It'll turn out great. Maybe not great. It'll turn out big. I'm so glad I stayed away from all those over the years. Oh, why? Oh, why? Because I'm a snob, dude. Fuck, dude. Everybody's growing Blue Dream. I'm growing growing Blue Dream, and I'm growing 24-week Panama Kush hybrids. (laughs) There's a couple of those are good for you, you know, but the whole field needs to be the Blue Dream to get paid. No, no, absolutely. Actually, Blue Dream. Your little bears OG autos got me kind of interested. I've been watching you. Oh, dude. Been creeping on your Instagram. Man, uh, big up to Canacraft, Dennis over there. He hooked me up with uh, those seeds. They've just done an incredible amount of work pulling out the right phenos to grow the molecule, right? Like that plant is just so perfect to grow biomass. I mean, some of it looks great, man. The crop we just pulled today looks like incredible. People would absolutely buy it as flour, and people will. Most of ours, we're turning it straight to extraction. Like the terpene levels are just incredible. You know, we got 14% on our terpenes this last run. Isn't that seven like ridiculous? Point, dude, a ridiculous 7.6% CBG, oh, yeah. 69% THC. So are they using right? it as like an appetite suppressant? What does the CBG do? The CBG, it's a stimulant, right? I mean, it has it has a lot of effects, but it definitely like will pick you up. Stimulant might not be the right word, but like you know, it's very uplifting. So it's a great in combination with THC and CBD. But uh, man, like we, we we're using most of this stuff for extract, and I'll send you over some pictures of some of the extract we put up, and, and you guys can look at it up on realdirt.com. We've got some of that on our Real Dirt Instagram. 
you can see the extract and the stuff we're doing down here in Oklahoma. But man, just the whitest butter, like just batter. It looks just incredible. Crisp uh, diamonds and sauce. That's just, I mean, man, it's just great, dude. Yeah, uh, got some equipment nowadays. You know, you can really clean up some. Like I saw this uh, Whistler technology or something. Some guy up in BC has got a like a pretty much fully automatic like uh, ice yeah, water. Yeah, man. Gosh. I mean, there's so much stuff out there on the market. And back to uh, Dennis and Dennis uh, <laughs> Hunter and Canacraft's brilliance is here's yeah, a great one, man. Like it's always so, ahead of the curve. Oh, always ahead of the curve. So you know, we trimmed <laughs> up about 12 pounds of bud from the Three Bears OG. This is auto flower day neutral cannabis for you that are on us here. Two pounds of leaf. There's no leaf on it. Two pounds of leaf on 12 pounds is an incredible, you know, small amount. Like it's just so easy to trim. You know, if you're your using it, you've got all these like hoop houses. I'm doing all this R&D. I'm growing stuff five different ways. So I'm not really like have a production number or anything. I'm not packing these plants in for production sake. I've never grown auto flowers before. I have unlimited square footage. So I can like, you know, space plants out as much as I want or can afford and, you know, plant as many seeds as I want and look at them all. So I really tried to give everything a little bit of room because I wanted, you know, I'm trying to learn about auto flowers and how they grow. But we were able to space them out enough where we looked at every single plant and could see like which was growing good or bad or what were the conditions that made it grow good or bad but i believe that with the auto flowers in if you do it right that you can get between a quarter pound and a half pound of plant you can also could just do it wrong and get two ounces right if you vacuum in i mean that's still pretty good so yeah go put forty thousand of those yeah and yeah, go put 40,000 of those in an acre and you just made a huge weight. And I have heard people get up to 8,000 pounds in an acre of it. Jesus. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, no statement. I, I might have somebody you could talk resistant. to uh, next year. We're about to start on this project there in a couple of weeks. And Man, you got the right environment, the right climate. <laughs> you can absolutely crush it with this particular auto fire genetics. It's um, Mephisto's Three Bears OG is specifically what it is. Uh, incredibly consistent. No males, no hermaphrodites. I haven't seen hmm. any seeds. And we just had a 5,000 plant run of it. Are they expensive or are they pretty reasonable? No, no, no. They're totally inexpensive if you know me. But you can get these in California. You can get them in Oregon. You can get them in Oklahoma. You can get them in Colorado. Yeah. They have outlets, all those places. You know, actually, they haven't really had bulk seed the past few years. This is the first year they've actually sold it to the open marketplace. Yeah. Now, I got a mm-hmm. friend out in Paso Robles at a CBD farm just for seed. And I was kind of skeptical. I was thinking, like, is there a big enough market to sell seed? But I guess, yeah, oh, you don't yeah. have to fool around with sorting out females and all that nonsense. So. One of my other projects, I've kind of put it on hold. We're going to launch it pretty soon, too, is Certified Seed and CertifiedSeed.com. And what we've done is we've developed a certification process that I say, look at the paperwork, talk to the people, and make sure their hemp seeds, their CBD hemp seeds or industrial hemp seeds are authentic. And they have to be grown in multiple states. They have to have multiple different proofs of concept, not just one. And, uh, you know, we've got about 200 million seeds we could access right now. We're kind of selling them on the side, but we haven't launched our uh, website. But soon, 
you and everyone else can go to Certified <laughs> Seed and just pick out the seeds you want. You can pick out the auto flowers. You can pick out the early seasons. You can pick out the late seasons. You can pick out the strains for Tennessee or the strains for Oregon or the strains for Colorado. And uh, there hasn't been a resource like that. And that's kind of why I've developed it. Because that's the real problem with hemp farming right now is actually getting good genetics. Yeah, especially when you got a guy looking to make sure that you're getting consistent results. Totally. Well, I mean, you, know, you can't sell it at all. Either. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've been babbling a, a bunch <laughs> here today. I always try to give people like, you know, some good information. I feel like we did. But again, I got a couple other things I want to get out of. You know, you're saying like organic growing techniques. There's a lot of other buzzwords out there, you know, soil, <laughs> yeah. food web, living soil. I don't really yeah. want to go yeah. into that. Right. Regenerative agriculture. That's pretty much what I would say. I would call it. Yeah, I'm not breaking the soil down. I'm improving it, right? And then the, yeah, right. the soil basically improves itself over time. Oh, well, yeah, totally. And I mean, organic growing practices. Man, do you got some go-to organic soil or some go-to recipes you could give our listeners out there that they could take home and, and mix up or, or something that they could do oh, for themselves? Man. This is where I need someone with some tech sense. I can basically turn any soil into something great. I can do it on the spreadsheet. I can do it longhand. Oh, the, maybe we can do a no, theoretical a, build. Theoretical build based on uh, my inert potting soil growers' uh, soil. Inert peat cocoa, peat cocoa perlite with some lime and some gypsum in it. Can you do that? Uh, calcium is the equivalent of perlite, right? Like I remember we had a conversation about this a long time ago that, you know, your customers want to see this perlite. But to me, you know, perlite at some point is going to sift itself out and be useless about the time you really need it to be useful. I would say that at the end of the day, I don't really do a lot, what I would call low CEC soils. Like that would be something I would try and, and get away from in an outdoor situation, especially because that, that sort of trend lines with hydroponics and soilless. And I'm trying to basically put things in there and then water them to success. It's container growing too versus yeah. growing in the ground. In yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about indoors and uh, that's kind of your company model and that works really well for control because you can see a problem and you can mix up a solution and you can irrigate it mm -hmm. and fix it. Greenhouses. A lot of our customers are greenhouse customers. Yeah. So when you're, when you're able to make, you know, you got tank solutions and stock tanks you can mix up and irrigate. That's really great. But when you're out and dealing with field crops, which is typically what I deal with, I pretty much quit dealing with the indoor stuff because, well, a lot of reasons. <laughs> it was mainly the, you know, the people didn't pay. But right. this is kind of the, the, the type of business models in which people would build would want to pay me after the fact. And then they'd, uh, it was an interesting problem. I try and build people up for long-term success. And to do that, I would say, ultimately, you want to try and get something where the soil has a... C if you're going to send this into the lab, I would say, go to Logan Labs, send your soil in. It's going to give you a CEC readout. And then you'd need to figure out what you're dealing with. And you want the organic content to be, you know, at 3%, you're basically not feeding the biology. You need a few more percentage points to be able to break off some of that organic content to feed potential nitrogen source for the biology. So you have carbon... And that carbon needs nitrogen. There's no way to keep the soil alive without feeding it stuff like humates and you know sugars and whatever. So it becomes different than if you're chemically feeding it and you're feeding it what it needs and keeping it going that way. So the main thing that I would say you would need was uh, you know almost a clay content, or you would need some kind of uh, you know a peat to be able to hold that because the only three things that are going to hold is clay peat and and forest humus things that are broken down so much that they have an electrical conductivity, something to adhere, that negative attraction, that negative clay colloid, that negative humus colloid, something's got to hold those positive base cations, the calcium, the double positives, you know, the double magnesiums, the single potassium and the single sodium. So to do that, you have to have something that's got a CEC value. 
And then you would want to probably keep it wet so you wouldn't have to water it all the time. So I'd probably tend to build a heavier soil. So I would go with like, you know, maybe like 10 to 20% manure base, like dairy manure, and then some peat. And that would help it acidify it a little bit, not let it, you know, get super high pH because of the potassium. And then you'd have to figure out, it would be hard to manufacture this without a few test runs, I think. Like I'm definitely not sure. the soil mixer. So, I'm more in like if you got the test result, I can fix clay and make it perform. You know, if you've got a, a soil that's like a you know a mix of like sand, loam, and and silt, I can teach you how to make it hold more water. So whatever your problem is, I can fix the problem. If you got like a, basically a sandy soil, we can add some manure and some humus. We'll we'll be able to charge the soil, uh, make it hold something, and then hold water also. Well, I like your specific non-specific answer there. I wasn't so much trying to get to that. So, so there's a guy I, in I Central Valley thing, who makes a, an empire builder. That's the shit. Like, I love it. It's oh, great. fuck that guy. Uh, really? Come on. Are you telling me that trash? Oh, my God. They put so much awful product into their compost. What are you talking about? Dude, it's garbage. The empire builder? I oh, think it's yeah. Peat-based. Uh, the compost that they use is literally garbage. <laughs> I don't know. If you hit me with the results, like I can fix that soil and I've crushed it, right? I got all my guys on oh, like that. Okay, I'll give you that. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's a bad so, soil and you can fix it. <laughs> I fix it, right. Oh, I finish it. I finish it per se. So I'll, I'll put some compost in it, right? We'll put some gypsum in it to leach out the sodium and, and get it to where it doesn't uh, have a rocketing pH. And then it just flows right through. You know, I put an Instagram photo of one of the guys, he, he skipped the, the gypsum, right? Nobody gives a shit. You know, I'm like nobody on Instagram. So nobody even, you know, it's like my mom or friends, real estate people are looking at my Instagram. Oh, cool. You know, it's two different colored greenhouses. Uh, what does that mean? So they keep scrolling. But what it showed was that he applied gypsum to make sure that the, the excess cations were rinsed out, right? And the pH came back into check. Then the one on the right, which technically was the middle, there were three of them. The third one, you don't see in the picture. The third one was also amended in the middle and wasn't. So the, the way you can always tell when you F up on, on the potassium latent flowers, they get really colorful, just like the vineyards. You know, they turn orange and reds and all these pretty colors. That's excess potassium always. You know, otherwise, they'd be reasonably green all the way through. Anytime you see that, man, you need to check your base cations. Your pH, your pH probably 7.5, you know, 7.3 to 7.6, somewhere in there, guaranteed. If it's not and you still have a similar problem, your pH is probably real high. And that's going to be a totally different deal. Similar issues, but compounded, even more things stacked up on top of each other. Not enough sulfur, probably, and, and the wrong type of sulfur, maybe. So, people of the real dirt, listen. I guess uh, at the end of the day, the calcium <laughs> and magnesium is the first thing you address. At the beginning of the day, you're suggesting get a soil test. If you're growing yeah. in the ground, in the ground, yeah. go get a soil test. If you're like a, someone in the backyard trying to do something, the first thing I would do is I would always address the calcium and get the calcium magnesium ratio right. And then you probably could cruise through that year and put the appropriate amount of nitrogen in there, which mm -hmm. weather is 30% more and warm weather is, you know, not. And typically it would start around 100 pounds per acre of feather meal equivalent, which then you would divide by 0.12 or 13, whatever the ratio is. And that would give you the amount of actual pounds of feather meal you'd need. Do you have a preferred nitrogen? I mean, I hear you mentioned feather meal or some alternative sources. Depending on what nitrogen source you're using, it has what's called a plant available nitrogen ratio breakdown per month. So you have like what they call pan day, like 28 days for nitrogen release on feather mills, like 40%. So you'd have to know like what that plant needs within that period of time and then add, you know, about 60 pounds just for the biology and then probably another 100 for the plant or something, depending on if it's a short or a long term season of growing. If you were doing something like depths, it would definitely be like half the value you would use for a full term because you're only going in there for three or four weeks and you need a flower and you don't want that excess to be there. In ammonium mm -hmm. form, like feather meal, it's pretty safe up to like 300 pounds per acre for the most part, uh, nitrogen pounds equivalent. 
So then you would again divide that by 0.13, you end up like 1,600 pounds, 2,000 pounds of feather meal, which is a lot. But because it doesn't break down fast, it's very slow and the biology needs to reduce it from you know ammonium to nitrate to nitrate. It doesn't all come loose all at once. And if you water it, it stays because the soil is negative charge. The clay and the, and the what we call the CEC value will hold all the positives, which is ammonia, which is feather meal, NH4 positive. So you don't end up putting nitrates into the plant all the time and it just washes away like you would with you know, bat guano or something. So the right choice of nitrogen would have a huge impact on how favorable and how much bug resistance you would have because nitrogen is a stressor. So that gets us into a whole nother conversation, which is, you know, bugs smell with electricity, essentially. And so they can smell for miles away, your plant's stressing, and they'll come and decompose it for you because it's stressed out, which isn't what you want, right? So there's that whole thing. It's like so how the true. bug finds you. And yeah, the bug finds right. you a stress. So this whole thing builds a, a stress-resistant methodology of lack of excess is essentially what you're trying to do because more definitely is not better. More is usually almost universally bad and you, you have to elevate things slowly but surely together. Like nitrogen and sulfur. If you're going to put in more nitrogen, you have to put in an equal amount of sulfur increase. So if you double your nitrogen, you have to double your sulfur, you're always going to have a problem. You know, there's just no way around that. They work together. Oh, that's exactly what I was looking for, bro. Hardcore, good jet science. That's yeah, right, man. I mean, the, the whole thing is like, everyone's like, how do I fix my plants? And I'm like, yeah, I can't help you at all. Like, honestly, maybe my absolute best guess would be equal. Right, I can give you a couple of bad ideas, and we can see which ones you know going to work the worst or the best, and, and kind of go from there. <laughs> but we can just stop guessing all yeah. the way around. We can just test it. So that brings me into the next point: is I've gotten people onto SAP analysis, which is a whole new ball game. X-ray, sure. You can see what you got coming in the mail thirty days from now. What's better than that? You want to get know what yeah. you're going to get paid? Go send an X-ray sample every three weeks, two weeks, ten days, every day. You want to run like hydroponics at hundred bucks a day? Send in your sample. You could run it just like a hydroponic system. In 30 days, you'll know exactly what you should have put in there. It's going to have a deficit. You can see the deficits coming down the pipeline. I mean, it's amazing. We're finally uh, given all of this uh, resource, man, you know, with legal cannabis. And it's just incredible. I mean, we've been talking about SAP analysis for 20 years. And now we're able to actually like send it to labs and do it in a different manner. Yeah. And not just so, have an indicator card. The x-ray fluorescence is kind of a new deal. They're able to see the vibrations and, and use like a spectrometry, which is what they used to use. But they can see a definitive value for things like trace minerals and micronutrients. It wasn't accurate at all before. So now you can see these other things that are more, you know, kind of hidden costs. Like mm-hmm. the manganese is the biggest one. I mean, I've gotten everyone on manganese. You ask, what is one thing I see commonly? That was the one I forgot. Is Everyone's shy on manganese. You can look at any sample anywhere, anytime. And I guarantee you, Unless there's some kind of weird situation with the clay and that particular type of clay holds manganese, it's almost never there. Not in any kind of reasonable quantity. Yeah. The biology has to reduce it to make it available. Otherwise, it's oxidizing, just sitting there tied up. As always, Jeff, (laughs) we have incredible chats. I'm so glad I got you on the phone today. Our listeners are excited to hear uh, some good science knowledge, some good suggestions on organic cultivation. Hey, man, how are people getting in touch with you? You got an Instagram or social media? Yes, yeah, so I got an Instagram. It's uh, garden.hacker. And uh, that's pretty much about the only way. It's got my phone number on there. You can send me a DM or... Garden.hacker. I'm sure we're going to get you working with my uh, new project, Greener Group. We're consulting an advisement group. We've just pretty much launched it this week. You want to hear about it, Jeff? Yeah, for sure. Great, man. So Greener Group, we're, uh, man, I, I realized like how many consultants I knew out there, how many experts like yourself that I knew, but so many of them were having a couple of problems. 
one, finding jobs, and two, they were always getting fired from jobs because that's kind of the nature of consulting. And then the third thing that almost everyone has problems with, especially when they're a mad scientist like you, is all the back-end paperwork associated with running the business. So what we've done at Greener is, man, I've, I've looked at my network. I have called all of my friends and great consultants and, and advisors of the world and kind of put them under one roof. And if you're anywhere in the country or the world, man, I probably got the expert that can solve your problem in just a few hours. Just with a little phone conversation and a little bit of time, we can put it all out. And I can suggest someone great for you, just like Jeff. So uh, yeah, check us out at greenerconsultinggroup.com. Look us up on Facebook and LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, if you're a city, a municipality, a building and planning department, man, we're here to help you out. We really want to progress cannabis in your community and help you build a thriving industry. So greenerconsultinggroup.com. That was a great pitch. It's probably truly helpful though. You know, it's like everyone's got their strong suit. And I know a lot about a lot of things, but I don't know everything about anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's how all the consultants <laughs> work is they're like, they're used, they're often, I mean, to your attribute, a great grower and they fell into working for other people somehow, or maybe not so much like you, but like other people, they were just head growers that worked for people or grew up in the industry. And now they've worked for five or 10 years as a, a grower at a large facility and they can start telling other people how to do it. But man, that might be all they know how to do. Or maybe they're an extractor, or maybe they're a packager, but no one man knows it all. It does take a Every team, now and again, dude. I realize how much I miss Darren, man. You know, Darren Nelson, the three of us, we each had a little bit different uh, way of looking at things, you know? I used to laugh because Allison was my translator, right? When I'd start getting all pissed off, red face, want to yell at somebody. So, <laughs> I said, man, I can't deal with this. She's like, here, let me help you out. Maybe like a lifesaver, you know? She's just very diplomatic, oh, yeah. whereas I'm more like Yosemite Sam. <laughs> we all need some help. I mean, I even need help. We've got large cultivation, we got small cultivation, we got stuff all over. But like, you know, I ask for help all the time and ask people how to do stuff and how to build stuff all the time. And it's the only way we get better. Yeah, I'm looking at Zapier. Um, that, that's interesting. I automate everything. Exactly. I mean, I like to keep the human, I like to keep the heart in it, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, I prefer semi automation. I prefer simple systems with few moving parts. Hey, man, I'll tell you, we're growing probably about $70 input a pound on the autoflowers that we just pulled, maybe twice that much on our light depth. But a simple cost of farming or simple like labor and all that package pounds. That's crazy. Gene. And all these guys out in the, the hills, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, it's like, man, we can get in there with tractors and get it done. A couple thousand dollar implements here and there and labor. Yeah, absolutely. Dissolves. Absolutely. And I mean, I, you know, on our light depth, that's the most expensive and we're growing in containers above ground with drip and feeding it and supplementing it with nutrient that we mix organic nutrient in the soil or in our pots. And then it's going to add synthetic nutrient a few times. I see the beauty in, in organics. I see how cheap and inexpensive it is. And I use them. I'm just, I'm not a purist. And especially like when plants start out, they respond really well to some ETDA micronutrient and some ammonium nitrate. <laughs> But like on a larger scale, like it's harder and more expensive and, and difficult and costly in so many ways other than just money to use synthetic fertilizer. When you understand the chemistry, you start to realize a certain thing go in, they, they go and help. Like EDTA is an interesting one because it, it can pick up stuff also. So it can deliver a fertilizer, chelate it, and then it, it's going to take something too. So then mm -hmm. knowing how all that works is a whole nother learning skill, you know, to be able to balance all that. 
there's a time and a place for organics, for synthetics. It can't all just be one way. It's just hard to make it that way. And I tell you, the best weed I've ever had in my life, ever had in my life, was, you know, greenhouse grown, organish weed that had some miracle grow at the beginning of its life as a small plant. And then maybe a tablespoon of miracle grow at the beginning. But then other than that, it's like all organic. That wasn't a pure organic scenario, but man, those guys grew fucking great weed and still do. And still do, man. I don't think it's an organic versus synthetic. I think it's more of like, you got to know when you've gotten too hot, too much excess, too, you got deficiencies and excesses fighting each other. And then you got stress and that's where problems start. I guess I'm just talking about the purism of it all. Cause so many people get caught up into like, I'm just living soil. Chemicals are killing the soil and the earth. You're an earth murderer. I'm definitely in the middle of all that now. Even though I used, you know me for a long time. I, I was on the exact opposite side. That's how my whole program developed is like everyone had an input that needed to be met, right? You got the water boards trying to keep leachate out from the water. They tell you what you can't do, but it doesn't make sense because they don't even know what they're talking about. You know, it's like no, no feather meal is going to leach nitrate out into the water if it's using it faster than it's going to leach. So there's like all these little nuances where everyone's got their opinion. And I finally tailored a, a program to where it's just a non-issue anymore. Uh, and it performed. That's great. Well, hey, man, let's talk more about it in the future, dude. It's been a good chat, man. Glad, glad to chat with you, man. If you guys like this episode or interested in others, please go to iTunes and subscribe to The Real Dirt Podcast. That's the only way we get bigger is if you subscribe. And hey, man, go back and listen to some of the 70 or 80 other episodes we have. We've got some great, great, great episodes. There's some great episodes with uh, just some great, great growers and attorneys and business people. Just check several of them out. Also, if you're looking for any uh, cultivation equipment, go to Cultivate Colorado, cultivateokc.com cultivatecolorado.com. We ship all over the country, walk into any of our stores, everybody. It would be glad to chat with you. Anybody, any one of our stores, uh, we're glad to talk to you about your problems and help you fix it. Thanks again. Love all you guys. And remember, always look for the real dirt. Oh, that was great, Jeff. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks,